the climax of this story that we have been walking together in since the, since the beginning of the Christian year, which is celebrated at Advent. And so together as a church family, we began this journey at Advent when we were waiting on the arrival of the Messiah. And we walked with Israel through that history and that longing of the, of the long-awaited Messiah, the one who would come to rescue God's people, who would come and fulfill all of the promises that God had made to his people. And then we celebrate the arrival of that Savior, Jesus Christ himself, God in flesh and blood on Christmas Day. And the fulfillment of everything God promised and beyond anything that we imagined. And then from there, we started walking through the life and teachings of Jesus and looking at his ministry. And we talked about this idea of the kingdom of God that he came to establish, the once and future kingdom. And as Jesus describes what this kingdom looks like through parables, and he shows us and demonstrates what the kingdom looks like through his miracles and through his life and through his ministry to people who were on the margins we see these stories colliding together. We see Jesus telling us, trying to help us catch a glimpse of what was to come by telling us that the kingdom of God is like seed that gets buried down in the ground. And after it's buried, you think it's over. You forget about it. But while you are resting and while you can't see what's happening beneath the surface, something is stirring, something is moving, and to your surprise, an explosive harvest breaks up through the ground he was trying to help us see what was coming and then we have where we talked about the the miracles that Jesus performs two miracles that are intertwined with each other and can't be separated from each other where Jesus sets free and heals this woman who has had this affliction of bleeding for 12 years and it's not just a, a medical condition for her. It also has to do with, with this social piece and this religious piece. And she was considered unclean and rejected because of that. She was cut off from community. She was cut off from worship because of that. And Jesus heals her and sets her free. Just by simply touching the edge of his garment, she is radically healed in that moment. And Jesus brings about reconciliation in her life. Doesn't just heal her physically, but also heals her spirit and heals the relationships that have been broken in her life. And then immediately after that, part of the same story, he goes to the house where the little girl has passed away and he sits on the edge of her bed and he whispers. He whispers, little girl, get up, get up. And with all of the force of a whisper death has to submit and lets go of this little girl as Jesus draws her back into life he's been trying to tell us what was coming we couldn't grasp it yet but he's been pointing ahead to this day and then through Lent we walk through the seven woes of Jesus as he's confronting the religious leaders of the day and he's just going one after another one after another confronting them with the hypocrisy that they have been living in, saying, you slam the door of the kingdom in people's faces, and all the while you're shutting yourself out. And Jesus was pointing ahead to what was coming to this day when a stone is going to be rolled away and the entrance is going to be opened up. 
And what seemed like something that was slammed shut, Jesus swings the door wide open to the kingdom and invites us in. And Jesus was hammering away with them, saying, you're like whitewashed tombs, well-decorated tombs, but underneath there's nothing but death. And as we said last week, thankfully Jesus knows what to do with dead things. And we celebrate the culmination of that today. This is the day that we've been building for. This is the day that we've been waiting for. And this is the day when the whole story that we find ourselves in finally comes together and makes perfect sense with this last piece of the puzzle that reveals the whole mystery that we couldn't see the entire time. Jesus Christ is risen and he is risen indeed. Let's read this account together from the Gospel of Matthew chapter 28. The first 10 verses here. Here's what it says. After the Sabbath... At dawn on the first day of the week, Mary Magdalene and the other Mary went to look at the tomb. There was a violent earthquake, for an angel of the Lord came down from heaven and going to the tomb, rolled back the stone and sat on it. His appearance was like lightning and his clothes were white as snow. The guards were so afraid of him that they shook and became like dead men. The angel said to the women, Do not be afraid, for I know that you are looking for Jesus who was crucified. He is not here. He has risen. Just as he said, come and see the place where he lay. Then go quickly and tell his disciples he has risen from the dead and is going ahead of you into Galilee. There you will see him. Now I have told you. I love that part. Now I have told you. My job is done, all right? Somebody's like, he's like, I cannot wait to give this message. I cannot wait. It's done. I've completed it. So the women hurried away. From the tomb, afraid yet filled with joy. Amen. And ran to tell his disciples. Suddenly Jesus met them. Greetings, he said, which is an odd kind of introduction (laughs) after everything that has taken place. Hello. It's me. They came to him. They clasped his feet and worshiped him. Then Jesus said to them, do not be afraid. There it is again. Do not be afraid. Go and tell my brothers to go to Galilee. There they will see me this never gets old somehow it just never gets old thank you Jesus thank you Jesus for your death on the cross that won victory for us over sin You shed your blood to bring us forgiveness of our sins that no matter what we have done in our past, no matter how far it feels like we have wandered away or run away or pushed away from you, the cross tells us that there's no such thing as a person who is far from God. There's no such thing as a person who is far from God because the cross shows us just how far you are willing to go. To bring us back into reconciled relationship with you. 
We thank you that you did that at the cost of your own life. God in flesh and blood. Allowing his flesh to be broken and his blood to be poured out. For the redemption of the world. You loved us so much you laid your life down for us. And we thank you for that. We're humbled. We're blown away. We cannot get our minds around it. And then thank you that you picked that life back up again in resurrection power. In resurrection power. Help us today as we dig into this account, as we try to make sense of what it means and of the impact that it's still having on us generations and generations and generations later. And today we pray that for every believer, everyone who is a follower of you, that it would be fresh today for them. And we pray for those who are curious and who are looking for you and are searching for you, even if they, they can't put into words that that's what they're looking for. I pray today they would find you. And even better, that you would find them. In your name we pray. Amen. Amen. What I want to do over these next few moments together is simply take a few of these verses and just unpack them together. We're just going to walk through this account little by little here together today. I want to start with those first three words of the passage after the Sabbath. After the Sabbath, this is one of those parts in the story that is easy for us to run past because we're like, hey, look, the exclamation point is the resurrection. Let's get to that. OK, I understand that. But this is something that's easy for us to overlook and move past. But we need to understand the weight of these words after the Sabbath, because that's what helps us understand the beauty and the power of what has happened with the resurrection. After the Sabbath, what is that? The Sabbath day is the last day of the week, the sixth day. And it's this day that's set aside for rest. And on this particular Sabbath, it was the darkest day in human history. The darkest day in human history. Because the disciples and the followers of Jesus wake up into this world where Jesus is dead. They wake up. Remembering what they had witnessed, what they had seen in the crucifixion of Jesus. And their hearts are still torn wide open. And the pain of it, the trauma of it, the tragedy of it, what they saw happen to someone that they loved, their friend that they loved, not to mention the person they had placed all their hopes in as being this Messiah that they had been waiting for. So here we find them in this space between on that Saturday in Christian tradition, Christian history. It's referred to as Holy Saturday. And it's this day in which God is silent. Because God is dead. Jesus Christ, God in the flesh, is buried in a tomb that is sealed with a stone. All of the force and power of the Roman Empire guarding it. There is no way out. It's over. It's over. And the tragedy that they witnessed, they were waiting for somehow for the story to come back together, but it didn't. It fell apart. There was no recovery. The whole thing collapsed. There was no last minute miracle to rescue Jesus from the cross. God is silent. All their hopes the, the lives that they knew and the lives that they had hoped for, the futures that they had hoped for are all buried in that tomb with Jesus. And it's sealed. And there's no way in 
and there's no way out. That's the Sabbath that they're just coming out of. And it says after that, these women who are coming to the tomb, they don't know what they're going to do there. It's sealed. They don't know what they're going to do. It doesn't give us any indication in Matthew's gospel. Others have things to say about that, but Matthew's gospel doesn't give us any indication what they hope to do when they got there. It just says that they're going to the tomb and they're leaving after this Sabbath. The darkest day in human history. After the Sabbath and then the next words, at dawn on the first day of the week. So we get this, the the last day of the week before, at dawn on the first day of this new week. And as the story starts to unfold, we begin to understand what kind of week they're actually stepping into here. And it's not just the first day of a new week, it's the first day of a new world. A new world, a new creation story has been launched and unleashed because of that day. At the dawn of this new week. In the original uh, creation story that we find in the book of Genesis in chapter 1. It tells us that God finishes his work of creation on the sixth day. Which is the Friday. And that then on the seventh day God rests. Because his work is done. And he rests on that Sabbath day. On that Saturday. And that's why that in the Jewish tradition it becomes this set aside holy day of rest. But in this new Jesus story that we find unfolding, we see the echoes of that playing out, don't we? That on Friday, just like God finished his work in creation on Friday on the sixth day, Jesus, it tells us, finishes his work on Friday on the sixth day, on the fifth day, sixth day. Sorry, (laughs) I may have been messing those numbers up the whole time. Forgive me. And on that Friday on the sixth day, Jesus says from the cross three words. What does he say? It is finished. It is finished. His work is done. His work is done. On that first Friday of creation, God creates humanity. On, that, on the Friday of the new creation, Jesus redeems humanity and rescues us and brings us into reconciled relationship with God. He says it is finished on that sixth day. And then what happens on the seventh day? He's laid to rest. And he rests there in the tomb for that day. But he rises on the first day of a new week, signaling to us that a new creation has been launched, has been unleashed, and all of us are swept up in it. It is a cataclysmic event that changes the history of all of humanity. That's why Christians gather for worship on Sundays. That's why people who are coming out of this Jewish tradition who had always had the Sabbath, that Saturday set aside as this holy day, now recognize Sunday as this holy set aside day. It was that cataclysmic of an event that they realized everything has changed. Everything from our history was pointing ahead to this moment right here. And now we mark it in a new way. And we're going to gather on this day to remember the resurrection of Jesus. What happens next is the angel appears in this very dramatic fashion of rolling the stone away with an earthquake, showing up like lightning, it says, all right? And then he sits on the stone, just for emphasis there, okay? Drive home the point. And he makes this statement to the women who have come there, Mary Magdalene and the other Mary, it says. 
the angel makes this statement to them. Do not be afraid. Do not be afraid, which is something that you need to say after an earthquake and a stone rolls away and an angel of lightning is standing in front of you. Okay, so thank you for leading with that. All right. Do not be afraid. But there's something so powerful about this greeting and about this kind of introduction there's a contrast that we see happening here between two groups of people who have just witnessed this taking place. Of course, first we have the women, the two women. OK, now what we need to understand and, and you got, you all get this is that during that time and in that place, because of the cultural power dynamic, the people viewed women as having no power. OK. Something about that time and that place. Of course, we don't see it that way now. All right. We understand that. Okay. But in that time and in that place, that's how they viewed women. Many of you, we've talked about this before. Women weren't even allowed to speak up in court. They weren't used as witnesses in court because their testimony carried no weight. They weren't able to hold any positions of power. The power and dignity that they are created with and born with by nature of being created in the image of God has been stripped from them in this patriarchal culture. So they are weak in the eyes of the people who are hearing this first story and in the eyes of people who are watching this story play out. Understand that power dynamic. And then on the other side, what do we have? The Roman guards. They are invested with all of the power, all of the power. Pilate himself says, go take a guard and set a guard by the tomb. Seal it with my own signet ring so that that it will be emphasized that my power and authority stands behind these guards and the job that they have been given to do it's not just his power but who are the people that request the guard in the first place it's the religious leaders and the religious establishment so the guards that we see standing by the tomb are invested with all of the power of the roman empire and at the same time invested with the power of the jewish religious establishment there they stand in their armor with their weapons all of the might and strength of both of those systems colliding together as they stand there to guard the tomb. Meanwhile, we have the two women who have been, because of the culture and the time in which they live, been stripped of their power, it seems. And what does the gospel writer do? He puts forth this contrast and this image. What happens to the guards? They shake, they collapse, they become like dead men. They are so afraid. And what is said to the women? Do not be afraid. They become an image of courage. And this contrast that we're given here, it's something that is emphasized to dramatic effect, even ironic, even to a sense comedic relief. We kind of laugh at the guards in this moment, don't we? As we see the reality of the power dynamic that is at work. The guards were invested with all of that, and yet their armor and their weapons were just an empty outer shell. Inside, they were dead men. They were dead men. 
And in light of the life of Jesus, they were revealed as being fake and they were revealed as being false. Last week, uh, we talked about a person who is one of my new heroes in this world, Sister Jean. All right, you guys remember us talking about Sister Jean? There she is. She is amazing. All right, she's the chaplain of the Loyola Chicago Ramblers, all right, who made this great run through the NCAA tournament, made it all the way to the Final Four, and unfortunately lost yesterday in the Final Four. Heartbreaking, all right? Uh, they were defeated by uh, the Michigan Wolverines, all right, University of Michigan. And our own Derek Hastings is a huge University of Michigan fan. And so I hope you're happy, Derek. <laughs> Shame on you, all right? <laughs> In the middle of the game, I got this picture sent to me from our friends Brian and Cherry. There they are. Yeah. Everybody give it up for Brian and Cherry. Woo! They are graduates of Loyola, Chicago, so they were like wearing their gear, like cheering it on. They're sending me texts about how I can go online and buy socks that have a picture of Sister Jean on them. And I'm like, that is definitely happening, all right? But unfortunately, that run came to an end yesterday. Sister Jean became kind of this, this national sensation. Everybody was talking about her because she prays for the team before every game. And this team goes on this miraculous run through the tournament, right, against all odds. And so she became seen as somewhat of a lucky charm to people, all right? So people are like, man, I hope she prays for me. They're trying to get her to pray for her and stuff. As we were watching the game uh, with, with my two kids, my, my son, Sam and Luke, every time Loyola Chicago scored, Sam would say to me, that happened because of the magic lady. <laughs> I think he said magic grandpa, maybe, which is even better. All right. It's hilarious. But so over this last couple of weeks, like that's kind of the glimpse maybe that people get of, of Christianity, right? They're seeing Sister Jean as, as this bit of a lucky charm. Like, okay, let's have her on our side and maybe that will help our cause. This lucky charm, like this magic, like maybe there's some trick, maybe there's some formula to this. But that's not what Christianity is. That's not what she represents for one, and certainly that's not what Jesus represents he is not your lucky charm this is not magic this is not even about power this is about something deeper than that this is about life this is about life and in this moment when the true life of jesus appears then the people who are supposed to be the ones invested with all the power shake like dead men their death gets revealed hiding behind all of that armor hiding behind all of that strength but reality is seen and reality is revealed and just like Jesus had been preaching to them in chapter 23 of this same book the true life of Jesus reveals false life it reveals the fake it reveals the facade of these well-decorated tombs decorated and dressed up by cut flowers to look beautiful. And these beautiful flowers are fading just like the death that is buried underneath them. And yet Easter 
in the middle of this proclaims, Jesus is life. Jesus is life. And the true life of Jesus reveals all of the fake, reveals all of the facade, reveals all of the false counterfeit forms of life. He is true life. He's true life. So in the middle of everything that we're facing, Jesus proclaims to us and Easter proclaims to us, do not be afraid. Don't be afraid of your past. Don't be afraid of your future. Don't be afraid of your failures, of your sins, of your weakness, of your brokenness. Don't be afraid of the abuse that you have experienced. Don't be afraid of the addiction that you're caught in. There is a power at work in this world that is greater than all of that. It is the true life of Jesus. Jesus is alive. That life pulses within us. And the very life that he fills us with has conquered and has overcome. This is the resurrection power of Jesus. I love that this angel says to them, do not be afraid while he's sitting on the stone that sealed the tomb. That symbol of the finality of the death of Jesus. And he sits on top of it and he says, don't be afraid. Not even of this. Not even of this. Not even of death. Death is the thing that we all have in common. Death is the thing that we all fear. If we'll stop and pause long enough to let ourselves think about it, which we hardly ever do, we're designed not to do that. We distract ourselves from that thought all of the time. But if we pause long enough to think about the reality of that, then it's the thing that we all have in common. Is death. And our fear of it in a world of fractures, in a world of divisions, divisions that continue to grow because people get more and more sophisticated in the ways that they exploit them for their own gain. These divisions that grow with every new cycle that passes, they get the gap gets deeper and wider every day. And yet for all of our division, death is the thing that we still all have in common. And we're all afraid of it. And we all fear it. Jesus has death in common with us too. Isn't that a wild thought? That Jesus, flesh and blood, God in the flesh, experiences everything that we are going to ever experience, even death. He even experiences that. And he's overcome it for us. He's with us even in that. And now we're not afraid, not even of death, because he went first and he led the way out. And he shows us that death does not have the last word. Jesus takes our worst fear and he turns it into our greatest hope because of Easter Sunday, because of Resurrection Day. And he takes the enemy's worst weapon and he redeems it for the rescue of the world. Wrapping up here, I love what the angel says to the women. He says, for I know that you are looking for Jesus. He's not here. He's risen, just as he said. They came looking for Jesus. They were looking for him. And here's the thing I love most. They didn't find what they expected to find when they came looking for Jesus. 
They did not find what they were expecting to find, and the unexpected discovery was beyond anything that they hoped to have found that day. And the same is true for everyone who is searching for Jesus today, everyone who is looking for Jesus. If you're here today and you've been looking for Jesus, you've been searching for him, first let me say we're so glad that you're here. We need you. We need you in this family we're glad that you're a part of this church family continue to look for jesus and we pray that you find him among this body of believers right here not because these people are perfect but because these people are real and they're authentic and their lives have been deeply changed by jesus and we pray that you will find the same jesus if you're here and you're looking for him and you're on this search for him then let me encourage you with this, and then let me give you a warning. First, let me encourage you that I know you're brilliant people. Okay? One of the things I love about this community, some of the brightest people from around the world come to this community in their search for knowledge, to learn more. Their thirst for knowledge brings them here. You are brilliant people. This room is filled with them. You're experts in research and discovery and your thirst for knowledge is going to keep taking you higher and keep taking you further in this world. Keep going with that. But here's the warning. Jesus is smarter than you are. You might not want to hear that, but he's smarter than you are, and he's bigger than you hoped that he is, and he's better than you hoped that he is, and he's greater than any of the categories that you have created for him. So as you search for him, understand this. He will not surrender to you. He won't surrender to your intellectual search. He won't. He'll serve you. That's a weird thought, isn't it? But even in that, he'll do it in a way that you're not expecting and in a way that you're totally uncomfortable with, by the way. Insert story about washing feet here. As you search for Jesus, keep looking. Keep being driven by that hunger and that thirst to find him. But no, he's smarter than you. He's better than you hoped. He's bigger than the categories that you have for him. But here's the best news of all. Here's the best news of all. That the people who went looking for him didn't find him where they thought they would. But instead, he found them. He found them. I love what it says next. He says, I know that you're looking for Jesus. Then it says, and suddenly Jesus met them. Suddenly Jesus met them. He found them. Easter is not about an empty tomb. It's not about the discovery of the empty tomb. The empty tomb is important because it gives us this piece of evidence and it's something that points to the real part of Jesus, the, the real point of Easter. But Easter is not about an empty tomb. Easter is about a risen Jesus. It's about a risen Jesus and the empty tomb is one piece of the evidence. But the resounding proof of Easter is an encounter with the risen Jesus who is still being discovered and can still be discovered today. And he's still suddenly meeting people in a moment when they weren't expecting it. And that can happen for you today. If that's you and you've been searching for Jesus and there's something about this moment right here that you know this is the time that you feel like Jesus has found you. 
and Jesus has grabbed a hold of your heart, then I'm going to invite you to do two things. Number one, I'm going to invite you to grab the card that's in your seat there and put your name on it and give your information there and check in that box that you want to know more about following Jesus. And we're going to meet with you. We'll sit down with you. We'll answer any questions that you have about this and we'll celebrate that decision. But second, I want to invite you to do this. I want you to invite you to join this church family at the table of Jesus and embrace today for the first time his sacrifice for you, the breaking of his body that makes us whole, the pouring out of his blood that brings us forgiveness of sins. We're going to invite you to participate with us in this meal that Christians celebrate together to remember the sacrifice of Jesus. And on a day like today, we remember it in a different way. The last time we shared this meal together was on Friday. And there's this mournful and heavy tone about that night as we celebrate Good Friday. And we remember the crucifixion of Jesus. Jesus laid down his life to bring us redemption. We remember that the body of Christ was broken. And we remember that the blood of Christ was poured out for our salvation. And today, we come back to the table and we return to it in a completely different way because we're completely different people because of what takes place, what took place on that Easter Sunday morning. We're going to celebrate this today. And we do it with a tone of celebration, with a tone of joy, because Jesus has conquered everything. He's conquered sin, and he has conquered even death. He is the king. He reigns above everything. And he wasn't just himself that is resurrected on that day, but he also resurrects us and brings us into new life with him. If you want to embrace that today and symbolize it by partaking in this meal, then we invite you to come to the table. There'll be a station on this side and a station on this side. Tear off a piece of the bread, dip it in the cup, taste and see that the Lord is good. If you need a gluten-free option, then there is, that will be available on this side. Come to the table of the king.